Is there a giant lurking behind the scenes, threatening to steal your joy? Discover how to banish fear and worry when you read Slaying the Giants in Your Life by Dr. David Jeremiah. This best-selling book is yours when you make a donation to Turning Point. For a gift of $75 or more, you'll receive the book, study guide, CD or DVD album, and more. And this month only, for just $60, you can receive this set immediately as a digital kit. Learn more and donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. It's one of the most common giants in the promised land of life, enticing you with pleasure, but always leaving you unfulfilled and ashamed. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah sheds light on temptation and offers biblical wisdom to help you turn from it before falling into sin. From the series, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, here's David to introduce his message, Slaying the Giant of Temptation. You know, uh, all of us face temptation. Um, the Bible says it's common to man. And we, um, we have to learn how to deal with it, and we don't have to look very far in the Scripture to discover what to do. There are key passages in the New Testament. We will be looking at them uh, beginning today. First in First Corinthians chapter 10 in verses 12 through 14. This, that's the central passage on temptation in the Bible. Two days on this subject, then Wednesday will begin two days on the subject of anger, and Friday the first of two on the subject of resentment. Well, here's part one of Slaying the Giant of Temptation. In a frank and earnest cartoon, the two characters are standing before a priest And Frank says, how come opportunity only knocks once, but temptation knocks on my door every day? I guess it was Oscar Wilde, the Irish wit, who one time was quoted as saying, I can resist everything but temptation. Some of us have felt that same powerlessness in our own lives from time to time. The fact is that every one of us are going to face temptations of one sort or another. No one is immune from the devices of Satan, and no matter how old or how young we may be, how new we may be in the faith or how old we may be in the faith, we all need to hear what God has to say to us on this important issue. For temptation is a giant that is winning the war in many people's lives. Some of you feel a great sense of defeat in your own life because temptation has taken control of your very existence. I want you to open your Bibles, if you will, today to the book of 1 Corinthians and the 10th chapter and verses 12 through 14, where we have a word from God through the personal writing of the Apostle Paul concerning this important subject. And I especially hope that our young people will listen carefully because if we can learn how to deal with temptation young in life, we will not stumble at it all the rest of our existence. Unfortunately, a lot of young people learn the wrong lessons early in life and then they spend the rest of their life trying to figure out how to overcome it. Listen to the Word of God from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. 
But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I do not know how it was that Paul wrote these words to the Corinthians. But in my imagination, at least, I consider it to be something like this. As you well know, Corinth was one of the most wicked of all the cities in New Testament times. The Corinthian people, while they were Christians, came out of a culture that was decadent far more than we can imagine. And I just assume in my mind that perhaps one day Paul got a letter from a young man in Corinth who said, you know, Paul, I gave my heart to Christ and I'm a Christian. And yet I did not understand that when I became a Christian, all of these temptations would continue. And my passions are just as they were before I got saved and I'm facing some of the same challenges before. And Paul, I I didn't expect that and I don't know what to do with it. And perhaps Paul sat down and wrote this section of his letter to help a young man like that, to help him understand what he needed to do with temptation in his life. The first thing that he does to help him and to help us is to make sure that he knows and that we know that temptation is a common experience of every single person. Notice what he says at the beginning of the 13th verse. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. One of the things that happens to us when we're undergoing temptation is that we think this is something uniquely designed for us, that no one else has ever faced the kind of temptation that we're facing. And yet here is God's word telling us that temptation is common, that it is a very human experience that we will all face it, and it is so subtle and perverse that there is no hope for us except in God. But we need to mark it down in our notebooks that we are not singled out for special treatment by the enemy or allowed to have special treatment by the enemy on behalf of God, but everybody faces temptation. In fact, if you look through the Old Testament, you will find many examples of temptation. There was Abraham and his lying about his wife. Do you remember that? And there was Noah and his drunkenness. And David and his sexual sin and his murder of Uriah. And Jonah's rebellious spirit against God. And then you go to the New Testament and you find out that in the New Testament, humans were experiencing the same kinds of problems because there was Peter's denial of the Lord and John Mark's defection in the exchange between Paul and Barnabas. And as you read through the New Testament, you see that many of the same temptations that we face today were faced by people in New Testament times because Paul says temptation is a very common experience. It is very human. In fact, this will surprise some of you. Even the blessed Lord Jesus Christ was tempted. For it says in Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet apart from sin. Jesus Christ, the holy, blessed Son of God, the perfect Son of God, was tempted in every area just as we are tempted, yet he never sinned. Whatever else we may take away from this passage in Hebrews, we must remember this. One truth we have to keep in mind is that temptation in itself is not sin. 
Sometimes people come to me and talk to me about their temptations, and I don't want to know about their temptations so much as whether or not they yielded to them. Temptation is not sin. It's when we yield to temptation that we sin. It was Martin Luther who said, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can surely keep them from making a nest in your hair. That's the difference between temptation and sin. Another writer by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman once said that temptation is the tempter looking through the keyhole into the room where you are living. But sin is drawing back the bolt and making it possible for him to enter the room. And J. Allen Peterson once said, you can't stop the devil from dropping off his offspring on your doorstep and knocking incessantly on your door. But you sure don't have to take them in, warm them, clothe them, and feed them. You see, temptation is the exposure to the possibility of doing the wrong thing. That is everywhere present. And everybody is going to face temptation. And the Bible gives us no hope whatsoever that there is anything we can ever do to make all temptation go away. How many of you have thought, Lord, just make it go away. Just make temptation be gone. As long as we live in this world with all of its influences and with all of its problems, we're always going to be exposed to temptation. And I happen to believe that as we become more mature in the Lord, as we grow in the Lord, as we walk with the Lord over a period of time, that the temptations become more subtle and sometimes more intense. As we walk closest to the King, Satan reserves his fiercest temptations for us. I remember reading something that was written by the founder of the seminary that I attended, Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Lewis Perry Chafer once wrote these words. It has well been said that spiritual believers are honored with warfare in the frontline trenches. The fiercest pressure of the enemy is felt at the front of the battle. But those who are at the front of the battle also have the privilege of watching the enemy's crushing defeat. And it's almost worth it to be at the front of the battle for the fierce temptations, to be able to see what God is doing in his victory over the enemy. Temptation will always be a part of our lives. And I hope that doesn't discourage you. I wish I had better news than that, but it's true. As long as we are on this earth, we will have temptation. It's our common lot. So there's no suggesting here at all that God is picking on us. Temptation is a common experience for all believers. Kenneth Taylor, who wrote the Living Bible, paraphrased this verse like this. He said, remember this, the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you. So remember the common experience of temptation. My friend, you're not alone. We're all in the same category. We're all in the same group. We have all faced temptation, and we always will. But now I want you to notice in the next phrase of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, the controlled environment of temptation. Notice what Paul says next. He says, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. Now, when God allows testing or temptation to come into your life or to mine, he promises that he will limit both the test and the intensity of it. He knows what our limitations are. Somebody said, you know what? The temptations are just beyond anything. The Lord's just put too much on me. Remember, temptation is not based upon what we think we can do, but it's based upon what God knows we're capable of. He will not ever over-test us, over 
allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to stand in there in the power of the Holy Spirit and be victorious. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in verses 8 through 10, Paul talks about some of his challenges. And he says, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Now watch this last verse. In God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Paul says we've been tested way beyond our own measure of strength. But the one thing we know is this. God is delivering us, God has delivered us, and God will deliver us. All three tenses of the word are used in the 10th verse. So in the midst of the testing, just remember that God is conscious of what you're experiencing. He never takes his eyes off of you. And when you are exposed to temptation, you cannot use the excuse that this is just impossible, that there's no way I can have victory, because God says you can have victory in temptation. In other words, no matter what situation I face, God is there with me, and he knows my limitations. Some of you think we'd be a lot better off if there were no temptations. And there are many days when we'd like to all vote on that. Could we vote on that right now? Let's all vote. No more temptations. But you know what? If that were true, let me tell you what would happen. You would never be able to demonstrate your great love for the Lord Jesus Christ. You would be kept from the ability to show your loyalty to Almighty God and His holy principles as opposed to the things of the world. If we were simply automatons who were programmed to know God and to love God, there would be no glory that could come to the face of God in all of that. But because we are creatures of free will and we do face temptations, when through the power of the Holy Spirit we have victory over those temptations, much glory goes to God. And so we are growing in our ability to be strong and to give God the glory. Now notice the third thing here in this very important verse, and that is the certain escape from temptation. Listen to what the Word of God says. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Listen now carefully. Whenever we are tempted, God has the end of the temptation in sight at the beginning of the temptation. The moment that the test begins, God already knows the way out. He doesn't wait to see how we are doing. He provides the means of escape from that temptation at the very outset of the process. The way out of temptation is always there. In the midst of the temptation that Satan is allowed to bring to our lives, God provides a way of escape. Listen to what Hebrews says about the nature of our Lord. For in that he himself has suffered, watch this, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Surely part of the way of escape is the knowledge that the Lord God himself, who is in the midst of every situation with us, has already been there and done that. He's been exposed to every kind of temptation we will ever face. And having been tempted, he is now able to help us in the midst of it. So the first thing we need to do is to look into the face of Almighty God and ask for the help of Jesus Christ, who is our Savior, to give us strength and help. 
All other things we trust in will prove useless. He is the only ladder out of temptation. Mark Rutherford, an old English writer, put it in these words that are more beautifully put together than I would ever be capable of, but listen carefully to what he said. I am not talking theology or philosophy, he wrote. I know what I am saying, and I can point out the times and places when I would certainly have fallen if I had not been able to rely for guidance on something better than a commandment or a deduction. But the pure, heroic image of Jesus Christ confronted me, and I succeeded. I had no doubt as to what he would have done, and through him I did not doubt what I should do, and I did it in his power, and I was victorious over temptation. One of the things I've been learning as I get older is that temptation is not so much a matter of what we don't do, it is really a matter of who we do love. And when we come to know the Lord Jesus and we cultivate within our hearts a relationship with him of intimacy and desire and worship and adoration, and he is the strong, heroic image in our heart, that in itself will keep us from many faults and many sins. When Jesus Christ is not just a word in our vocabulary, but he is the person who lives within us and we meet with him every day and we have an intimate relationship with him. My friend, it's hard to walk out of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in his word in the morning and go out and yield immediately to temptation. It's hard to give in to temptation in the evening hours when you know that the first thing you're going to do in the morning is open the book and get into the Word and to fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Yes, the heroic person of Jesus Christ is part of the way of escape. He is there for us to aid us and to help us. But I must say another word about this way of escape. I think one of the things Paul's talking about here is the fact that in every temptation we ever face... There is always a point somewhere in the process where we know we can get out. Somewhere in the process where the voice in our heart or in our head says, this is wrong, don't do this. And at that moment, we have a brief opportunity to walk through the door of escape and be rescued from the temptation. But often if we walk past that opportunity, it is too late for us to get out at a different time. The word escape here in the book of 1 Corinthians is an interesting word. It is a Greek word that was sometimes used of the very narrow passage people would use to get out of a canyon. I don't know if you've ever been in some of the canyons, even out here in California, but sometimes there's narrow files that take you into different passageways. And the way of escape was looked at as a little way out of the canyon. That's the picture that Paul is painting in this text. He's saying, sometimes when you're walking through the valley of temptation, for just a moment you see the way out. And if you take that way, you can be victorious. And some of you have testified to that. You're in a situation you know you ought not to be in. Maybe it's a relationship with a member of the other sex. And maybe you know that relationship is wrong. Perhaps it's because you're already married, and perhaps they are too. And maybe the friendship has gone a little bit further than it should. And all of a sudden, one day, something happens in your heart, and you know right then this is wrong, and it's going in the wrong direction. My friend, that's the way of escape, and you better get out right then. 
Because the way of escape may not come again. It may not be there for you again if you don't take the way of escape when the Lord provides it. But I am confident that in every temptation that I've ever faced, that you have ever faced, there's always been a moment of time when there was an opportunity to walk away. But if you don't walk away, then temptation can gain control. Well, these are the things that the Word of God says in this wonderful passage that most of us memorized in high school. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So how do we deal with temptation? Let me just give you some practical thoughts from the rest of the New Testament to go along with this central passage. Just six or seven things real quickly for you to write down. Number one, recognize the possibility of temptation in your own life. Recognize it. You see, one of the things that happens to us, one of the reasons we get tempted and we fall prey to temptation is we don't think it can happen to us. One of the things I hear constantly from people who get into trouble is they'll say something like, you know, I just cannot believe this happened to me. Why not? Why not you? Listen to what Paul says just before verse 13. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. One of the most tragic things that can happen to you is to get a cockiness about you, a pride about you, an arrogance about you that says, This can't happen to me. My friend, the worst thing that can ever happen to anyone can happen to anyone if we don't watch out for the enemy. I remember hearing a story about a young priest who was serving in the confessional booth for the first time and he was being watched over by an older priest. At the end of the day, the older priest took the young man aside and he said to him, son, he said, when a person finishes confession, you have got to say something other than wow. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? We're not usually surprised when other people fall into sin or temptation, but it surprises us when we do. Hmm. Well, we have some more about temptation tomorrow. This is one of the most important lessons in this series because it's one of the most uh, frequently felt giant pressures in our life every day. And it seems like uh, we are surrounded by temptation now with the internet, with television, uh, with the sexual content of almost every conversation and every advertisement, every commercial. Everywhere you look, temptation is lurking. But we don't have to be victims. We can be victorious. And we'll have more about that tomorrow as we continue our discussion of slaying the giant of temptation. And then on Wednesday and Thursday, we're going to deal with the subject of anger and Friday with the issue of resentment. And still left on the docket for more teaching is the giant of doubt, the giant of procrastination, and the giant of failure. These subjects have all been collected in written form in a book called Slaying the Giants in Your Life. It was produced by Thomas Nelson. It is available to you for a gift of any size during the month of February. That's right. While you're listening to this material on the radio and be becoming more and more interested in finding the biblical answers to these problems, we want to make available to you the entire series in written form. 
And all you have to do is send a gift of any size during this month to help us uh, continue to teach this truth to everybody as far and wide as we can. And in response to that, if you'll just say, please send me the book, we'll do it, and it'll be on its way to you before you know it. Then you'll have heard it, you'll have it in front of you to read it, and I'd like to encourage you, as I have been doing during this month, to use this as a Bible study series for your small group. These lessons are so uh, life-related because everybody is facing these issues, and when you... uh, Take the book and the study guide. You have everything you need. The study guides for everyone in the group, the study guide and the book for you as the facilitator. You can also get the CD package from davidjeremiah.org, and you'll be ready to encourage everyone to join you in a very, very interesting discussion of being victorious in the Christian life by facing the problems that come your way. Please take advantage of that. And for all of you who send a gift this month and ask for this book, thank you. Thank you for helping us get started in this new year, in this month of February. And uh, we are very grateful. And don't forget, as uh, we sign off today, that we're going to Alaska in July. Go to davidjeremiah.org and find out all about it. Remember, James Brown and Tony Dungy are going with us on this tour. You'll get to meet them and hear them speak. And we'll have a great time together. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Slaying the Giants in Your Life, and learn to banish the giants from the promised land of your life. This popular book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue slaying the giants in your life on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. A friend of C.S. Lewis was amused by what he had seen engraved on a tombstone. Here lies an atheist, the inscription read, all dressed up with no place to go. 
C.S. Lewis, however, was not amused. He responded soberly by saying, I am sure that person now wishes that were true. Lewis was saying that those who think there is nowhere to go after death will have a rude awakening. For the Bible says it is appointed unto man to die once, after which comes the judgment. Not believing in eternal life doesn't change the reality that it exists. The only question is, where? This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's truth about eternity on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.